Hi, and welcome to All This and the Oscars 2, awardsdaily.com's podcast on the Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone. I'm the founder and main content provider of awardsdaily.com. I'm here with our two editors, Ryan Adams and Clarence Moy. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello there. <laughs> Hello. So Oscar nominations were finally dropped today. Um, it's a really strange season because everything is smushed together with um, everything happening really, really fast. And we have next week's Producers Guild, Directors Guild. The following week, I mean, uh, next week is Producers Guild, Screen Actors Guild. The following week is the Directors Guild. And the following week is the Oscars. Like, that's how fast it's all coming. So there's really no time to catch your breath. But we're going to talk a little bit about the nominations and what we think about it, what we think of the race, and how we think it's going. Um, so, Sounds great. Yeah. So we're just basically midway through um, Little Women. There's sort of like what I find to be is like there's a reality, and then there's sort of the online reality. And you know when you slip into the online reality, you know what it's going to be. You know what it consists of. You know what the conversations are going to be. But that doesn't necessarily make it reality reality. <laughs> Because, mm -hmm. you know, online, everybody's very, very upset, or it, so it seems, with how the nominations went. There's a lot of think pieces, a lot of outrage um, due to the lack of directing nominations for women, um, specifically one woman, and then the lack of um, Latino or people of color in the acting categories, which is unusual because usually lately it's been a lot more inclusive. Especially um, considering the fact that two of the most important, one of the very most important movies this year is Parasite, and another really popular movie is The Farewell, and no Asian actors at all were nominated for either of those mm, movies, sure. despite the fact how, 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 how apparently popular they are, and, and we know what a masterpiece Parasite is. So it's strange that, that, that the people the white actors from relatively mediocre movies would be nominated, whereas the ones from the really masterpiece movie got overlooked or got passed over. Yeah. yeah especially, especially since Parasite got that SAG nomination, I was kind of thinking that would lead to a nomination for Song Kang-ho, but uh, it mm -hmm. obviously did not. Well, I mean, needless to say, they're all great in Parasite, like beyond great, the performances. They're astonishing. Anybody yes. would think that you might not think if you're watching a foreign language film that you would feel that connected to the actors and the performances. But how, for whatever reason, this one, I mean, a lot of movies, obviously you do. I'm just saying in general, people who might have sort of a block about watching a foreign language film might find that they if the actors are speaking in a different language, then they're not able to really convey acting to you. But it's just not the case with Parasite. I mean, this is some of the best acting I've ever seen in a movie all of them are so good and so funny and so sad and especially funny like that's really the thing about mm -hmm. it that is that i think is so great is that they're all really really funny um, and in that supporting actor race there's not a i mean it's not just there's not a bad performance there's not a there's not a mediocre performance in there they're all great i mean hanks hopkins right. you know pesci pitt i mean they're all mm -hmm. fantastic they're yeah they're they're doing some of them are doing their career best work here and it's just there's a lot of good movies this year. Yeah, there's just a lot of good movies. That's the mm -hmm. problem is that the year is, is just hit one out of the one after the other have been great. Usually, you know, as they come down the pike, you expect them to be good, but they're not, and so they get written off, and the pile just gets smaller and smaller. But in this case, it's like everything that came out was good, you know, and it was like great. 1917 was great, and it shouldn't have been, you know, as a late breaker, it should have been bad, you know, but it wasn't. It was great. Um, 
So they're having to stuff all these movies in and, and kind of represent both what they love and, you know, what won't, won't make people happy, uh, won't make people angry. But the problem is that a consensus vote is thousands of people. And it's harder to mm-hmm. focus your, for instance, the AFI people were able to sort of cherry pick their selection for maximum representation. And they do that really well. And their film critics also do that. They cover their bases. They make sure that they're, you know, they're including different actresses of color. And they, they really try to broaden their scope a lot because they have the luxury of doing that since they're all discussing it. They're in the same room. They can- that's the point, I think. That, that makes such a big difference when they're together and discussing it. And that's yeah. what the AFI jury can do. And that's what film critics groups can do. They yeah. can, they can, they can, um, 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 talk it out, debate it, and in a way that people assume that the Oscar voters do, but they don't. They all are voting anonymously, but yeah. alone in their in their in their own homes, and they don't send out a memo. It's funny how many people on even on the side who should know better think, well, yeah, the Academy got together and they decided they were going to do this. Exactly. That's not, no, they, that's not how it works at all. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, that's a really good point. Is that the smaller groups can. Uh, work things out between them and decide to decide what sort of thing they want, what sort of group of nominees they want to yeah. project forward. But the Oscar voters, when they fill out their ballot, they have no idea what anyone else is doing. Yeah, and the other thing is everybody knew, all the publicists knew going into this season, everybody knew the same thing, which was there's no time to get voters to watch movies. They're just not going to have time to watch them. So let's. there were an unprecedented amount of these fancy screening parties for like... Mm-hmm. Um, Knives Out, mm. Irishman, you know, Once Parasite. Upon a Time, Parasite, just tons <laughs> of them, right? So Parasite, that we didn't go to that party. We could have gone. I know. We could have gone to the biggest party in town, Clarence. We totally <laughs> didn't. I had an amazing time at El, El, at El Coyote. So, so we're going to talk about Clarence's trip in a minute, but we just want to get through this overreaching um, commentary on the nominations. I, I'm not, I haven't had any alcohol, by the way, folks. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm dealing with a little bit of a, a cold. But um, they cut them a little bit of slack because they did the best they could and they didn't have a lot of time to watch everything. So uh, the criticisms are a bit much, in my opinion, especially after all the lengths that the Academy has gone to diversify its membership and make changes to satisfy angry Twitter. Hell, they don't even have a host again for the second year in a row. Give me a break. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, cut them a little slack, man. It's like they, I think, did a pretty good job considering the time frame. I, anybody who knows me knows that I don't think any of the women other than one deserve to be in the directing conversation. I mean, sure, they can be in the conversation, but are they better than the five? Um, even if you don't like Joker, then Joker is going to go out. So Taika Waititi is going to get in there, right? So it's not like, mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of competition this year with really great movies. Um, but I think Melina Matsukas, who directed Queen and Slim, is, is the director that didn't get any attention, who I think really was the big visionary that came out of this year that was a woman. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later. But so does, do you guys want to, anybody want to do like a rundown of the nominations? Does anybody have them in front? Because you know people are going to want to hear uh, I do. One too. thing in general that I, um, it seems like it, that, may, that ended up bothering me in ways <coughs> I didn't expect it to was that Ordinarily, we'll have one or two movies a year that that just has a, a big boatload of, re- of nominations, 
uh, 10 or 11 nominations, but this year we had four different movies that had 10 or 11 different wow. nominations each. And that, that eats up so much real estate in the nominations categories mm-hmm. that it that it doesn't leave much room at all for anything surprising yeah. whatsoever. Right. And a lot of our readers, even on the site, the, the Words Daily um, um uh, per, uh, uh, site ballot that we do just among our, our, our own me- readers, a lot of readers remarked on the fact that here we are all this time, we're ta- all year long, we're talking about how we want to have more diversity and, and branch out and, 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 uh, and talk about more movies than just the ones that are, that are at the top of the conversation. And then when we vote, we end up doing the same thing that the Oscars do. Mm-hmm. But the point, the, the reason that is, even though individual people may have one or two fond um, a sort of relatively obscure movies that they're really fond of, and they vote for those movies, they're still going to vote for two or three of the really, really popular movies too. So the really popular movies are going to accumulate the votes that put them in the top five or the top ten. And it's just inevitable that if, if you only have a ten, 10% of the voters who only like one of the obscure movies, that movie just doesn't stand a chance. There's just no mathematical way that it makes it into the top ten, right. no matter what. Well, and I think the same thing happens with Oscar voters. It, it's a, what you always talk about, Sasha, the consensus matters so much. And the consensus wipes out all mm-hmm. traces of any sort of um, creative, creative uh, uh, diversity at all whatsoever. And the time. and they just didn't have the time to discover something different. Mm. Like it, you look mm. at all of these. I mean, these actors. I, I saw some stats on Twitter where it's like these actors are responsible for thirty something nominations. With like in, in one of the supporting races, I I can't. I'm not going to look for it right now. But it, you know, it's it's repeat names. It's names they know. It's properties mm-hmm. they know. It's mm-hmm. properties that have been talked about all year. Mm-hmm. They lost a week out of their vacation at aspen where they could watch the screeners and yeah. discover things that that aren't you know on the mainstream or you know maybe something like a clean a queen and, and slim or something like mm-hmm. that you know they they just went with what they knew they went with what they were told when they went with what was being you know thrown at them yeah. by publicists yep and every every uh, critic mostly um pushed for little women and that was their big push and then all of a sudden they flipped around they did kind of the same thing with roma last year they put all of their chips behind roma and then when roma didn't win which it wasn't going to win because it had its own category it's different than parasite we'll also talk about that in a minute but um i would call them two different movies for one thing parasite has a sag ensemble for another thing it made history with the number of nominations for another thing it's accessible entertaining and, and as masterful and brilliant as Roma was, it wasn't that. It was something totally different. Um, mm. You're asking actors to vote for a best picture. They're not going to pick a movie like that. But they might pick Parasite. Anyway, so um, the the idea that um, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What were we talking about before that? We were talking about, I can't even piece it back together trying to i can't what think was it? Clarence, where you were clarence having. was talking about sure. time and oh yeah so so if they put yeah. all of their chips behind little women and then they're angry that sarah sharonin knocked out lupita nyongo or they're angry that florence Pugh knocked mm. out um maybe knocked out jennifer lopez they say oh kathy bates did well that's just them deciding that it's cat maybe kathy bates right. was already in who knows but if you push for mm-hmm. little women at the last minute to get all these nominations it's going to push other things out 
So you have to right. decide what do you value more, you know? So are you going to be mad about Lupita Nyong'o or are you going to be mad about Little Women and Saoirse Ronan, you know, pick what, what, or you just accept what the Academy has done and be, be happy with, with the representation that, that they got. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, you know, I mean, God, they, I think they did really well considering. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the thing is like, people should understand that in a rushed season, I saw a couple Academy members complaining about this on Facebook, that they just didn't have time to watch all the movies. And so they're going to watch the movie. That's why I think Joker and like you're saying, Ryan, the same movies appear in all the categories. Well, they voted for what they watched and liked. Uh, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, why they exactly. showed up in all these and categories, I you know. And I was only th considering the, the top the top four biggest uh, grabbers of nominations. But you're right. Even on the on the second tier, <clears throat> the movies that, that each got six or seven or eight nominations apiece, what uh, Little Memon and Marriage Story both got six nominations. That just takes a big chunk out of the acting categories right there. So there's just mm -hmm. if you run out of slots really fast. And so I absolutely agree with what you say that people can't don't have much much. Uh, right to complain about people being left out of the acting categories when they've been pushing all along or you're long for the same four or five movies yeah. to be to be recognized well they, they were they were recognized they were. and that's what happens when you when you only focus on four or five different movies yeah and and just before we'll do the rundown uh clarence and then we'll, we'll go into the specific categories sure so where do you want me to start picture yeah, just a general rundown of who got what. I mean, what, however you say. You have a more logical mind than I do, so. <laughs> well, the uh, the nomination leads were obviously Joker with 11, followed by The Irishman with 10. Um, and then you also had Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with 10. And what was the other? 1917 with 10? That's right, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the first time in history that's ever happened wow. for films to get over 10 nominations. Wow. That is a, yeah, that's what I, yes, that's what I was trying to say, but you said it so much more clearly than I did. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we had nine uh, Best Picture nominees, Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and of course, Parasite. Yeah. Yes. So if we're looking at this as a, this is a pretty good year to look at. This would be a, this would be in the old days of Oscar, a pretty easy five picture race, right? Be mm -hmm. easy to yes. figure out. We know what our four are. And we're probably going to throw in Jojo Rabbit as the fifth, right? Maybe, or? Yeah. 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 I would. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it got the DGA nom. Right. So that's, then does that leave out Joker? No, because Joker leads. So Joker's leading. Can I just say, like, just, just with us here on this podcast, like, I didn't do that great in my predictions. I got 95 out of um, whatever it was, which isn't bad. It's pretty good. It's like a grade B plus, really? maybe. It's excellent, um, I think. It didn't, uh, wasn't the high uh, yeah, score. Much but better was, than I did, I'm sure. I was next in line to the high score, so I wasn't a high score. But one of the things that I'm most proud of was predicting Todd Phillips in the directing category and not doing it because, oh, I love Joker so much, but doing it because of, of a theory. And that, as you guys know with me, like, it's one thing I really love is is coming up with a theory and having it pay off mm -hmm. it doesn't always happen yeah. but sometimes it does and this theory yeah. was well, as i told people on twitter the night before i said figuring out best director just figure out which movie do academy voters like best overall that's the one's mm -hmm. going to get in and so that's why i predicted him even though i also knew that there was a pretty good chance he what they weren't going to pick him and they pick somebody else right but then it comes in with 11 nominations and of course he gets it so then you look at it and you go well of course he got the directing nomination you know because he got 11 nominations this movie and and mm -hmm. you know only one of those is acting 
So that right. yeah. shows a at very first, popular right. film, mm -hmm. you know. And I, at first I was, that was the thing that upset me most. I, I don't mind Joker getting a Best Director or Best Picture nomination, but I, when I saw that it got more nominations than anything else, it really bugged me until I started looking at the individual categories. And I really don't have an, much of an argument with almost, with almost any of the categories. You know, great editing, great cinematography, absolutely fantastic score. The only thing that really does bother me, the nomination that bugs me most is a costume design. Yes. Because I can't think about what it was about Joker's costume design that was anything any different than any other Joker movie. It's the same outfit, really, just a different color scheme. Yeah. And especially when you have such much more interesting and enjoyable costume movies with costume designs that really were a joy to look at. Like Dolomite is my name, right? Why oh, in know. the world they would pick the Joker three-piece suit with that, you know, gaudy colors instead of something that's creative with so much, so many like dozens, hundreds of costumes in Dolomite is my name. Why yeah, they would have it just, chosen. It just tells you yeah. that, you know, this is the movie that they all watched. So they all yeah. watched yeah, it yeah, because yeah. of controversy. And the other thing about Joker that is baffling to all of us, this is kind of how I was about Green, Green Book. I defended, but it wasn't it wasn't a movie I loved or hated. Like I, I was kind of neutral on it. I did get more defensive of it as people attacked it. That bothered me. But I felt feel about Joker kind of the same way. Like I just sort of feel neutral about it. But one thing that has baffled me is how many people love it that's that are in the Academy. Like that has always mm -hmm. shocked me. Like the fact that Sally Kirkland loves Joker. Yeah. And part of it right. is, I think, I really do think that part of it is Michael Moore's sort of framing of it as an anti-Trump screed and a, and a movie about, you know, and so many people identified with it as people are protesting all over the world in a Joker mask. And so to them, it isn't what film Twitter thinks of it. It isn't this hateful, awful incel movie. It's more a movie about protesting, a movie about the resistance, a movie about people left, but like, that's how they see it. That's, that's the urgency they have to vote for Joker that I think a lot mm -hmm. of people miss and that you see if you read between the lines, if you look at what someone like Michael Moore is saying to his followers about Joker and how important it is and what a big deal it is and how it's a movie about our time and blah, blah, blah. I saw that so much on Instagram at a time when I was really annoyed by the movie. So I did actually have hatred in my heart for it at that point. <laughs> so when, <laughs> I did, when I saw it show up on those places, I was really annoyed and I just wanted to like fight against that. But now I don't care as much. I just, but I do understand that there's a little bit more going on with that movie than just, you know, I mean, there's something going on. There's some emotional connection that people are having with it, you know. Yeah, and, and it's a kind of movie like 20 years from now, 25 years from now, when people look back at, at 20 and look at what's happening in the culture they're going to they're bound to to, name, to mention joker in the same when they're trying to analyze what was going on with this with american society back then and they're not going to do that with very many other movies not very many other movies are going to have such seemingly direct connection to what's happening in society right. as joker does and so so it's going to it's going to it's going to have an enduring um reputation i think that's really a good yeah, point. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. But I do think that it, it's emblematic of, what's, of, what, of, of, of what you're always saying, Sasha, here and now, what's happening now. Yeah. And I it's mean, also something that you've always said, too, that you can't ignore what audience 
what audiences are doing. The audiences have to be part of, should be part of the process about what's what goes down in history as the most significant movies of the year. And the audiences spoke about this movie, and it's not just because it was a superhero movie because there's no superhero there's no superhero in it. There's no hero in it. It's right. a villain movie, mm-hmm. yeah. and so it's, it doesn't it doesn't fit the same mold. You can't call it a superhero movie. It's not. Even though it's a comic book character, it's totally un, un detached from any uh, any um, story of a fight between good and evil. It's and all I, I evil. Will, yes, exactly. I will say one mm. thing about this, and that, and that, because I'm like obsessive with this idea that that when the dates are on top of each other, it's harder to build consensus mm. and momentum. So, for instance, if the DGA wasn't announced the same day Oscar ballots were turned in, right? That tells you mm-hmm. DGA did not DGA with 15, 16,000 members did not pick Joker. They picked Jojo Rabbit. Right. The Academy mm-hmm. has 8,000 and they did pick him for director. So the, well, the director's branch has 400. So, but if you had taken the DGA back, let's say a week or two weeks and you showed that, that he didn't get a director nomination at the DGA, that might've shifted perception of the movie ever so slightly. And it might have mm-hmm. dinged it when it came into nominations, but there wasn't even time for that. So you're just getting the pure Academy reaction without any sort of shaping or framing from a different group. That's how it yeah. goes. You know, if a movie's left out or if it's included, that boosts the perception or it takes it down. And so Joker, had it not gotten a DJ, I would have expected, given the 11 nominations at the Academy, I would have expected, it seems logical to conclude that it would have easily gotten a DGA nom, right? Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. such was not the case, even though it was represented in almost every single category at the Oscars. It has to be because it couldn't get that many nominations if it wasn't. Um, uh-huh. So it's well, OK, so we can move on to directors. So did you name the directors already? Not yet. Okay. Um, the Irishman, Martin Scorsese, Joker, Todd Phillips, 1917, Sam Mendes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino, Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. Oh boy! Wow, these are great movies. God damn. And I got those two, and I think um, I think if you go back to one of my first podcasts with you guys, I think I had this. I've always had this feeling that that Taika Waititi wasn't going to get in for best director, at, and I don't know why. It just mm. it just felt like the kind of thing that they would not um, appreciate. You know, yeah. uh, even though he's tackling difficult subjects, I, I'd always thought that they would. That they would look at it like it was comedy, you know. Yeah, because he's because that, he is who he really is. That's a really excellent yeah. point. I want. I can't. I, when is the last time that a, that a director was nominated as best director, best director at the Oscars for a comedy? I can't remember. Maybe it's not too long, but it doesn't seem like it happens very often. And so yeah. that probably you're right. I mean, it just didn't seem serious enough to them. Maybe not, Art. or maybe they just don't respect him because he's a Thor Ragnarok guy. Maybe. Um, Maybe, yeah. Or they don't know him. Although you would think they would have the same sort of uh, um, uh, bias against Todd Phillips, because what has he done before Yeah, exactly. That's why I think it's an interesting thing. I think it sort of proves my point about just the same way that that 2012 proved that when they only nominated Spielberg and and Ang Lee and they left off Bigelow and and Affleck... um, because of the way the dates fell. I think that this, to me, the Joker, Todd Phillips thing really does prove that when you don't have the dates together, it can it can do strange things in terms of influence. I think mm-hmm. I do think that if yeah. more time had been spent, then Taika Waititi might have had a better shot at getting that five for five um, DGA Oscar match. Now, just really quickly, we'll go to Greta Gerwig, and that's only because 
I just want to drive you all crazy. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, the only thing that really frustrates me about this conversation is people always say to me, "You and I've had so many people write me privately, you must have something against her. And they logically think that I do, that I have something personal because I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of Lady Bird. Um, I recognized it for what it was. I thought that the praise was overblown. You know, unlike a lot of people, I, I know that there are a lot of women who make good movies. The women, Jane Campion, Sofia Coppola, Ava DuVernay, you know. So it wasn't like the second coming of Christ to me that a woman could actually make a good movie. I know that they can. But it felt like people were like, oh, my God, she made she made a movie, you know, and that's how it felt to me. And even though a lot of people really like Lady Bird and they really identify with it, and to them it's a big coming-of-age movie and one that they'll never forget. A lot of people feel that way about it. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying from my mm-hmm. personal experience. So Greta Gerwig's... Didn't she didn't get a nomination for picture or director at the Globes? Not at the BAFTA. She didn't get a DGA. Um, Little Women was placed on AFI's list, and it was got a PGA and an Oscar nom. Those are for best picture. That that's better than that movie could have ever hoped for. I can promise you that. Um, not to say that it's so bad. It's not bad. It's it's interesting. It has a lot of beautiful, interesting moments. It's sort of like, you know, pulling out a hope chest and opening it up and looking at all this cool stuff inside. It has a lot of beautiful things to look at. But for me, the plot was so convoluted and the time and the flashbacks and the flash forwards. Look, a lot of movies this year do that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, they play with structure. But you're always aware that you're in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. I didn't feel that way with her. I felt lost. And I felt like she was a little bit in over her head. That might sound sexist to some people, but that was my takeaway. And I felt like nobody was giving her the respect of giving her proper critique. That was my take on it. So I wasn't surprised it got left mm-hmm. off anyway. And and, and I'm glad that, that I mean, Clarence and I had a little brief conversation before the podcast started where we both talked about a couple of things aside from the the uh, uh, the scramble chronology that, that bothered both of us. I had some things, and Clarence had some issues too. But I'm glad that that we have an opportunity to talk about the specific things about the movie that 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 bothered us, so that people don't think that we just have something against. Because I don't have anything against Greta Gerwig, not at all. But as far as the chronology goes, it's not just the fact that I didn't think it was handled very well. It's I can't, I could not ever really see the point of it. I couldn't. Why? I, aside from the fact of just sort of showing off that you can do that. I didn't understand why, how the movie or the story benefited at all by juxtaposing the, the different timelines together in the way that they did. They didn't. I didn't see that they that they commented on that the different parallel tracts of times did not yeah. comment on one another. It just it only served to make the movie seem like more like anachronistic to me. It was anachronistic anachronistic enough because yeah. there was no attempt made to make the dialogue or the cadence or the diction sound at all like it was taking place in the in the 19th century the dialogue even from the very beginning like when he comes in and her and her skirt is on fire she he says you're on fire and she says oh well thank you they didn't say that in the in the 1860s that wasn't a phrase like oh you're on fire it, yeah. um, that, it, it takes me out of the movie immediately when she takes that as a compliment you know right, someone know. tells you on fire you're in the 1960s you're going in the 1860s you're really going to believe it you're not going to think it's a compliment yeah right. but 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 she has she has Greta. She has uh, uh, Joe 
uh, believing that she's being flattered because she's being told she's on fire. It's just not, it doesn't fit the time frame. It, no, doesn't, it fit, doesn't fit the era at all. So maybe the, if, if I could like, give her any sort of benefit of the doubt and give her, I would say, like, if, for instance, if I really wanted to write a positive review of this movie, that's what I would say. I would say Greta Gerwig is a deconstructionist. She chopped up the movie deliberately to confuse you and scramble it and say, this isn't your regular little women because I'm about to rewrite it for like woke feminism mm-hmm. 2019 and that's exactly what she does and um that works for some a lot of men seem to really love it that last scene you know i i really didn't because i felt like it was uh i felt like it was cheating the book um of its value that women love the but obviously i'm alone in that a lot of women love it and don't care so but i felt like uh, it che- was... I, I, i'm not clear what what, what cheating well see women she in, in, for uh, instance um in the book she and and people who know the book really well and and um some of them care, some of them don't. But she basically, you know, she's she's supposed to be with Lori, but then she turns, she doesn't want to be with Lori because she doesn't want to get married and she wants to be a writer and she wants to live this wild life. Well, in real life, Louisa May Alcott actually fell in love with a much younger man. She was a totally cra- kind mm. of free-spirited woman. And in the book, she writes that as the professor. And, and the whole point of it is she actually does find deep love with this person. He's not the person she's supposed to marry, but she does find deep love with him. So that when she ends up with him at the end, as Michael pointed out today, he's like, she has sons with him and little men. <laughs> um, That's right. Exactly and, right. And yeah, so the, they, the, the last 15 minutes of, of the movie Little Women is really little men tacked on to the end of Little Women. Right, but she, she didn't yeah. want that. She, so she shows Joe saying, oh, you want romance? Okay, I'll run out and give you romance. And then she barely touches the guy. She turns away from him. To, to give people that idea of, like, I'm going to write the ending that Louisa May Alcott really wanted to write but couldn't because of the patriarchy, right? It's not because mm. of the patriarchy. It's because of women. Women wanted the romance, right? It wasn't the patriarchy oh. wanted the romance. Women are the ones who want the love story, you know? Come on. So that bugged me, but I could have lived with that. My only real criticism of it was the structure, which I felt was... Um, awkward and clumsy and the critics didn't call her out for it and should have and they instead they just praised or, or that, her. Or that, or they, when they did mention it, they, apolo- they apologized for it or they rationalized it. I felt like they rationalized it and they, they yeah. tried to explain it in ways that the, the explanation didn't work for me. You know, one thing I thought was really telling when she's writing, when she's, when they show Joe in the movie writing the, the novel, she takes all the pages of the novel and spreads them out all over the floor and starts rearranging them. That's not what you do if you're writing a novel, a narrative novel that has a start and a beginning and end. You don't lay out all, all the pages and decide to, to move all the pages around and put them in a different order. That's not how you write a novel. Maybe that's what how she, she wrote was doing. The that's exactly right. That's what I'm saying. She, she's showing that she's putting a storyboard on the floor and she's moving the parts of the storyboard around. But that's not the way the she's novel making, was written, I know, especially she's, in the 1860s. What I found was I, I felt like I was being gaslighted because I thought that people kept saying to me, I don't know what's wrong with you. People love this movie. And I'm like, yeah, I know. but And so I, mm. I found myself having to go to Rotten Tomato user reviews and read those because there I could see that there were Many people who said, confusing timeline, the flashbacks don't work, confusing timeline, the flashbacks don't work. And they were saying what the Mm -hmm. critics could never, would never say. But, you know, ultimately, it's one of those things where, you know, an enjoyable movie, like, look, I didn't like Les Mis at all. And a lot of people loved that movie. So, and it got in for Best Picture and won a bunch of Oscars. So, you know, your opinion isn't always, you know, the thing, but I just felt like my opinion wasn't being heard and it was being denied and i was being it, people were saying it was personal 
and I was mad. Right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And 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 they didn't. And I didn't go to Rotten Tomatoes look at reader reviews. But what I did was go on Twitter because that's what I do. And I looked and I I, I typed in. I searched uh, the terms chronology and Little Women. And you see how many people are tweeting about that, and you see what they think about it. And my, way more than 50% of them said that they didn't didn't find it was necessary, whether it was downright confusing to them. Yeah. And so no matter what tw film Twitter thought about it, a lot of people out there did not approve of it or didn't understand it. Another thing for me, and I mentioned this to Clarence before we started recording, is that when you when you when you don't have the chronology and you don't get to see how the actresses start start out by playing teenagers and prepubescent girls that are 12 or 13 years old and you don't get to see them and their performances mature and grow up when you act to the fact when they when you keep going back to show scenes when they were 12 years old amy i'm talking about it's so disorienting to me because you never forget i can't ever forget that florence Pugh is 25 years old i know same. so it's bizarre to me to, to see her playing a 12 year old girl and then when they flash forward to season France, in order to, to to be older than she was when she was Amy at 12, she seems more like she's like 35. Meanwhile, you've got Timothy Chalamet lounging around in all these poses like he's a GQ layout. Every time he sits down, he doesn't he doesn't he sits like he's posing for he's, a boy magazine. You know, he like a, sit. he's he's draped. He he's drapes draped, himself. but he just he, he wanders he poses around in a way that. Yeah, and fetishizes him, and he never matures in the movie whatsoever. No, so of course, never. yeah, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't change. His his his. He doesn't grow up at all. Meanwhile, you have Florence Pugh, who's who's burdened with the task of going from twelve to thirty-five or whatever. And when she's twelve years old in a twenty-five-year-old body, and she takes Flo's uh, Flo, I mean uh, Joe's I novel, and burns it. To me, she's it, like a sociopath. I see. Like, like I thought she girl. was a brat. I couldn't stand that scene. And the, know, the, she's uh, like mentally ill. She's like mentally ill. <laughs> but like the <laughs> that whole part was the biggest problem for me is that whole going back and forth to Paris and all of a sudden she's with him. And I'm sure if I knew the novel really well, really well, like really well, like I knew, like, for instance, I'm not there, that Todd Haynes movie about Bob Dylan. Like, I know Bob Dylan's yeah. work so well that for me, that was just such an immerse. And, and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for that matter, I know the Manson story so well that... <laughs> I'm never lost because I know it. So I imagine that people who are really big, I've never been a big fan of Little Women, I have to admit. But um, so, you know, to me, it's just boring. Like, it's just not my thing at all in any way. So that's part of it. But at the same time, like, I would have expected to, to at least been involved in the story. It was, uh, she's in Paris. Wait, what? She's all of a sudden, she's, wait, why is Timothy Chalamet suddenly with, Emma Watson at some party like what's going on there I know. you know and why is and that's another here? Emily Watson too when she plays a, a, a girl who's 14 her her way of doing that is to act like that she's um, on something she's got that giddy grin on her face all the time which is a childish expression on her face and that's the way that she she convinces us that she's 14 but I can never believe that she's 14 just because she looks like she's silly acting and yeah. that's not that's not a, a, a performance to me and it's not only a problem with this version of little women exactly. it existed in the movie yes. in the version with Catherine Hepburn and in the movie with with the version with Elizabeth Taylor yeah. they've always cast actresses who are in their 20s and late 20s to be playing these teenagers and Amy who's 12 or 13 years old it's never worked for me I've never liked a single version of this I have to admit so that you can take that for what it is yeah. but the um 
I did watch a scene recently between Winona Ryder and Christian Bale, and that scene had all the kind of heat that you want in a movie like this. Like, you really need... And then I, I think a better mm-hmm. movie for me is Sense and Sensibility, which is mm-hmm. a movie that right. kind of travels the same territory. But if you want to watch... And I, I hate to say this because I know that Greta Gerwig is going to be a great director like Ang Lee, but you can't get mm-hmm. there if people just overpraise you. You have to be able to get criticism and you have to be able to work towards something. If every finger painting you do is called a masterpiece, how are you ever going to get better? But Ang Lee, if you want to watch a masterpiece, if you want to watch a master at work, watch Sense and Sensibility with the combination of Emma Thompson's incredible adaptation and Ang Lee's direction and the acting. Like That is a perfect movie. And to me, it's everything that I thought Little Women should be. And so if I'm measuring everything against Sense and Sensibility, of course it's not going to live up to that, you know. Yeah. So, um, so then what? What's next? Do we have actress? Okay, best actress. actress. Go. Uh, Cynthia Erivo and Harriet, uh, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, Sir Sharon in Little Women, Charlize Theron in Bombshell, Renee Zellweger in Judy. Now, if you one thing that I noticed today, there were a lot of polls out there that were saying, okay, of the people that we assume are front runners, who is the most vulnerable? Mm-hmm. You know, the front runners like uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Renee Zellweger, Laura Dern, and Brad Pitt, and overwhelmingly, like. 50 60 percent everybody was saying renee zellweger mm-hmm. which is fine but who beats her exactly good question mm-hmm. um i don't I think mean, she's okay i'll tell you who could beat her if theoretically had it gotten a best picture nomination which is cynthia revo if right. if the conversation i if the conversation continues on this you know the idea that that uh, people of color were shut out and if if anybody starts to think about the fact that Halle Berry is still the only black actress who has ever won in all of history, mm-hmm. okay, 92 years, only Halle Berry, that could catch fire. The problem is, is Harriet's um, not very good, and her performance is just okay. I mean, Lupita, I thought, would have been a real threat. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. She been nominated. I thought the most probably the most heartbreaking thing for me of all today is I really had just my heart set on Lupita being nominated for us. Oh, and yeah. when and not that I don't. I mean, Harriet is like um, it's an okay movie. I mean, it's I I it's, I mean I yeah. maybe borderline ordinary. I, I'm not going to say mediocre, but it's just ordinary. Nothing very outstanding about it, but it's fine. It's it, fine. It tells a, a, an important story. In a in a really good, nice, clear, straightforward way. That's n- nice. And her performance was uh, serviceable, you know, and and emotional. I got involved in it and everything, but it it just doesn't stand out among the other performances this year, especially yeah. uh, Zellweger. Yeah, no. And what hurts her too is I, I imagine there will be a perception that she could win best song because right. she's um, also nominated there. Right, okay. right. That's true. And, and but the, the the other yeah. problem is that I don't think that they, for instance, when when Olivia Coleman upset Glenn Close, like that was so clearly because they really loved the movie and wanted to give it something. You know, like it, it had all those nominations: picture, directors. I mean, it had t- and didn't win a single one. So it seems like they might have thought, I really like this movie, so I'm going to pick. Even though she obviously gave a great performance, I'm not saying she didn't. She obviously did, but. Um, but I think I don't know that that will be the case. Was that your timer? Somebody's timer. No. Oh, I, don't know. Uh, I heard something too. I don't know what that was. Oh, I don't know that that'll be the case with Harriet. Um, I I really liked Harriet, and the thing about Harriet, A plus cinema score, pretty good money, 
audiences love it. Huge audience rating on um, Rotten Tomatoes. So it is a crowd pleaser. My problem with it is that it it, uh, it was too much a movie about someone who has religious visions, which she did have, Harriet Tubman. Mm. But the movie doesn't delineate between this is her vision and this is what was really happening. It sort of says this was her vision and this was what was really happening. So I thought for me, like it, it was harder to accept the heroism. The other problem I had with it was that the villains weren't effective villains. So you're never really all that worried for her. Um, she could run across the thing and escape and then she comes back and gets and, and all the time she's being chased by these Keystone cops who never catch her and there's never any real threat. And I would think mm -hmm. that given the fact that it's a life or death situation, that there would be a little bit more. There is some violence on um, Janelle Monet's character. Um, and Harriet is sort of, you know, she is walk on water kind of saintly character. She's meant to be sort of a religious figure, a miracle worker. Um, and, I, and I understand that. And I think if you're religious, that can really work for you. But I think that as a movie, it might have been a little bit better to show, take it down to earth and, and tell the more human story about Harriet and how hard it really was to, to cross and get out, you know? That was my own observation mm -hmm. about it, my only criticisms. That's a really good point. I hadn't even thought about the fact that her visions were really what gave her a lot of her strength and motivations because she made her feel uh, like she was uh, like it was a destiny and that it was uh, she may have even felt like a like a had some sort of protection or some sort of that that it really didn't exist because it was only just an a vision is like is a hallucination it didn't really you know she, it's uh, the way at least, at least the way it was presented you know it didn't mm -hmm. that didn't convince me as a as an as a, as a really good motivating factor yeah, and I know that my, my sister got to an Academy event with Cynthia Erivo, and, and mm. she was with, an, you know, Academy members there, and, and mm. it was a big deal. Like, it got a standing ovation. The, you know, re relatives of Harriet Tubman were there, so they really did a good job selling that. And how do you compete with that if you're Lupita Nyong'o and mm. us? I mean, how do you even compete? How do you mm. have people come out and see us, Academy uh, yeah. members, yeah. you know, like, 60 year old academy members watching them <laughs> like they, mm -hmm. they they also had gone to a dolomite one and and that was likewise it was a little bit too offensive for them it was too vulgar for them yeah and they like uh -huh. movies like harriet you know it's like that's this is where, what they like they like that kind of feel-good hero heroic character so who can beat renee zellweger well if you look at best picture um the two is is saoirse ronan with little women and um Scarlett Johansson with Marriage Story. Uh, isn't that interesting? It's the Noah Greta, Noah Greta. It's always the Noah Greta. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but you uh, know, I keep I, when I, ordinarily when I hear people say that movies are have lost their momentum or they're fading, I kind of shrug that off as not being, and it just, it's a perception that may not really exist among the voters. But I really do in this case really feel like Marriage Story was at a at a peak when it first came out and it is really it really has faded in people's minds and, and even in their esteem over the past few weeks that yeah. it, it, it was every nobody could talk about anything else when it first came out and now nobody is talking about it at all i feel like she See, just sort like, of eclipsed him you know she yeah greta gerwig you can't separate the fact that they're together like you just can't so mm -hmm. i feel like people focused on but it's still pretty remarkable that it got in for all the nominations it did it's obviously still beloved 
So, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know how you decide between those two. Once again, they're they're going to they're going to have a hard time, Greta and Noah canceling each other out in that regard. So, my answer to that is I don't really think anybody beats Renee Zellweger. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next time, right. um, best actor, actor, <laughs> Antonio Banderas in uh, Painting Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio uh. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker and Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. Oh boy, that's interesting, isn't it? You've got The Two Popes, you've got Pope Francis, and you've got Antonio <laughs> Banderas, like these incredibly heroic people. What a category! Wow. Yeah, I really wish uh, Leo had not won for The Revenant. I know. <laughs> I would love for him to win for God. this. I, I have <laughs> to say, like that's my, without a doubt, without Eddie Murphy in there. That's got to be the my favorite performance of the five, without a doubt, right? Like, he's just, oh, my God, I love that movie so much. But um, he's not going to win. And, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, I think, has it sewn up. 11 nominations, there's no way he loses that. No, not at all. Oh, no way. Because if it doesn't win anything else, it's, that's the only Oscar it's going to win. Although it will win score, we know that. What else do you think it could win, Joker? It could win something weird like costumes. You know, it's just... Yeah, editing. Yeah. It could mm, win editing. I don't know. I don't want to talk about editing. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> right. Fuck that. Very upset with the editing. Bridge. Me too. Just like talk about breaking your heart with one category. It's like, God, why? So that's a drag. My, all my hopes and dreams died today because of that. <laughs> But um, but that's okay. We'll just we'll just you know whatever. It is what it is. Um, but we know we we've seen stats be busted in, um, on a regular basis over the past three yeah. or four years. So maybe this is one that's going to be not abided by this this year. And then and, and so that's fine. Yeah. Um, but usually you need more time, I think, for that. Like right. I feel like whatever yeah. the forces were at play to make them not vote for Once Upon a Time and to vote for Jojo Rabbit and Joker and those other movies. Whatever that was, that I mean, I do think that there was a sense of I don't think honestly, if it wasn't for Thelma Schoonmaker, I don't think that that Irishman would have gotten an editing nomination. I think it's only because it's her. So mm-hmm. I do think mm-hmm. that um, that that movie sort of that nomination could have potentially, but it's still a matter of preference. If they really love the movie and if it's going to win, it should have showed up there, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just the reality of the situation. But we'll never know. I mean, if it wins the Producers Guild as Marshall Flores is predicting, then that could lead its momentum into the DGA. He's never won, you know? I mean, we you never know, right? I, it's just such a weird year. I, I mean, I don't know that all of the same stats, and, and uh, maybe I'm just making excuses for it, but I don't know that all the same stats can apply when other variables aren't the same. Right. Right. I mean, you have such a reduced voting window. You've got, you know, and, and they're only going to have a couple of days to vote in the final round. Yeah, and also it's a stat buster year. Like, um, remember the Moonlight year was a stat buster year. It was any film that won was going to be breaking a stat. And this year, the mm-hmm. only movie that would win that wouldn't would be Irishman. So every other movie is going to have to break a stat to win. So it might as well be that. Editing's a big one, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that was a blow. It's a big it's, one. It's like two in the last 20 years have won without an editing nomination. Birdman, and I, I can't remember the other one. Um, yeah, but remember, Moonlight won without a BGA, DGA, SAG nomination. 
and Spotlight won with only two Oscars, Screenplay and Spot and Best Picture. So mm-hmm. weird shit can happen in a really competitive year. If this turns out to be a competitive year, we don't know if it is yet. We just don't because we have to see what the PGA does and the DGA does and the SAG and, and do they agree or don't they agree? You know, remember, remember the big short year, each guild picked a different movie. That was an extremely competitive year and a very hard year to predict. So mm, if, if we're in yeah, that kind of year, right. who and knows? Just the fact that we call it the big short year instead of the spotlight year, right? Yeah, because <laughs> because that's short. how confusing it was. Because we were all, it, we, that was a three way race, and this year we have a four year a four way race, which yeah. you know, it's almost as if the Academy realized that that Oscar sites and Oscar predictors and Oscar stats people were getting so good at it that we could already knew way in advance of what they were going to do. So it's like they went out of their way this year to foil us, to try to throw a wrench in the works, to do everything they could to throw all the stats off. Yeah. And they're doing it so far. They have it, you know, well, I wouldn't be surprised weird... if they succeed this year. And really, For some reason, for whatever reason, that year, that spotlight year, was the Revenant year too. And remember, mm-hmm. it was like everybody was predicting the Revenant and people like Ann Thompson, God, they really drink the Kool-Aid, those guys. Pete and Ann, like, they were all in for Gravity and all in for The Revenant. They go for these big, all in for Irishmen, you know. And they, they don't get the whole concept of the preferential ballot and why it can sometimes um, upend a movie like that. But, um, but, but The Revenant, <clears throat> everybody was predicting it to win Best Picture, but then Big Short wins the PGA, right? Mm-hmm. And The Revenant doesn't have a SAG ensemble nomination. And... Um, and then it's only Spotlight and the Big Short at the SAG, and Spotlight beats the, the Big Short at the SAG. So then you're stuck with that. And for whatever reason, The Revenant just wasn't going to ever be a Best Picture winner, which is so odd. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a, that was a really weird year. We don't really, ha- we're not in that kind of a year right now. I mean, I guess you could say maybe we were. I don't know what the Spotlight would be and what's going to win SAG Ensemble. And what the big short would be maybe big short is once upon a time in hollywood maybe maybe parasite is spotlight um and maybe that could happen i could see parasite as spotlight another interesting thing since the preferential ballot has been in you and been employed uh, the movies that ordinarily would have won in the olden days the big splashy big screen epics that you've got to see on the big screen like like the revenant and like gravity and like life of pi they stumble at, at the end of they don't they don't they those those would have been our best pictures at, at 10 or 15 years Absolutely. ago but not anymore they they always they, they stumble in the last at the 11th hour and they don't make it they stumble if there's a recount because la la land would have easily won without a recount mm-hmm. on the majority five picture ballot it would have won best picture easily they won the bafta you know it had no problem on the five ballot um five film ballot but for whatever reason, it kicked in. It was competitive enough that it kicked into a recount, and La La Land just wasn't a number two and number three movie. It was a number one movie yeah. or nothing. So you want that two and three. So which movie is that? You know, which one's that going to be? Which is the number one or nothing? You know. I won't know that until I, I start yeah. doing polls, yeah. you know, with people and tr- try to figure that out. Except it's going to be impossible because Little Women's going to foil the polls online. So um, I'm going to have to try to we'll find move on a good... supporting actor or supporting actress. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so supporting actress Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh in uh, Little Women, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Mm. 
So I'm going <coughs> to say it, and this might be controversial, and you probably will want to cut this out, but um, I'm sorry, Jennifer Lopez. I don't think she deserves to get in here and beat those actresses. I'm sorry. <laughs> she just doesn't have... Well, first of all, the movie wasn't very good, which doesn't help mm-hmm. her. And then second, I mean... It, I just I, I think she needs she's a good actress she really is and I respect her and she was great and out of sight and in her early career and she lost her way with the kinds of materials she was getting in my opinion and I think this could bring her back and I look forward to whatever her next role is and I hope that that affords her an, an Oscar nomination opportunity I really do um, but uh, Laura Dern has this wrapped up I would assume. Laura Dern (laughs) has so much goodwill. (laughs) And even if people don't think that she gave the best performance of her career with this, it doesn't matter because Mm. she's great in the movie. People love the movie. So she's winning for the movie and she's winning for a long career. Um, and I, she's at every single party in LA. She's, she's at every so single party. And she's and so we've charming. We've so much on Big Little Lies in the past couple of years. We've all enjoyed Big Little Lies. She's yeah. really playing the same character as she did in Big Little Lies. She's not yeah. even that different in Little Women. She has the same tone of voice and the same attitude and the same style and and mannerisms in Little Women that she does in every other movie. Yeah. And that's fine because we love her. But I mean, this is, movie... Yeah, that, I don't know if you can think, like, is there anybody who, like, people might say, quote-unquote, deserved it in this category that could take her down? Um, Someone told me they thought Florence Pugh could win, and I'm not seeing that happening at all. Um, I would say it's Scarlett Johansson or maybe Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie, this is her third? She And she's such a hot ticket, but she's not really working it, though. If you notice. No, she wasn't wasn't at um, at the Lionsgate party. At the yeah. Chateau. She Mar-Mal. wasn't, she's not, you know, when you're in it to win it, you're everywhere. And she's definitely not. And, and you're going up against the marriage story machine. That's, there's not, that's not happening. But, um, but I could see Jojo Rabbit, Scarlett Johansson, if they really like that movie and they want to give her something, quote unquote, I could sort of see that happening. But mm. I, I wouldn't yeah. bet against Laura Dern, no way. No. Yeah. Um, Performance by an actor in a supporting role. Tom Hanks, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. Al Pacino in The Irishman. Joe Pesci in The Irishman. Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Bradley. (laughs) The greatest performance. I loved it so much. Still love it. It's the greatest thing. So I was backstage in the press room at the Golden Globes. And this, when he won his award, the ballroom itself i could see on the monitors they stood up and the press room went bananas because he won like just everybody just just this wealth of of Mm -hmm. support and and just joy it was the only winner that night that they had that the press had that kind of joy over and he didn't even come in the press room (laughs) oh too bad he's the reason is is the combination of just him because i've seen him in person um, at this fucking thing for some movie, Moneyball, I think it was, and, and I was just in awe of this, like, halo effect of this man. <laughs> like, it was really crazy. Yeah. So part of it is just that. Like, he is such a stunning... But it's also this role in this movie that people are clapping for because everybody enjoys him in this so much. You know, I enjoy him, and my daughter enjoys him. Like, oh, the, the Spawn Ranch scene 
and the fight scene at the end when he's on acid, his relationship with his dog, like every single, the fight with the Bruce Lee guy, like every single scene in that, which I practically know every single line to, I'll have you know, it's just (laughs) all about both of them. I mean, they're just so incredibly likable, these two actors in this part. And so I think when people, if, if Leo hadn't already won, if he was winning, it would get the same reaction because there's just, they're just so, the characters are so likable. Mm-hmm. both of them you know and, and their relationship they're just they're charming and and um I, I don't really know how to describe it but i can understand why people are happy that he won and plus he's he's way overdue brad pitt you know mm-hmm. so i can't wait to see him win an oscar that's gonna make me really happy that'll be great yeah i would love to see once upon a time in hollywood just sweep the whole thing that would make my year mm. but i don't think it's happening no. so well you know, I wanted to see it at the uh, New Beverly when I was in town, but um, I didn't get the chance. Oh, so you want to talk a little bit? I think we've gone through the categories enough. But do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about your trip to L.A. and all that? Yeah, sure. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for letting me represent, and I hope I represented yeah. <laughs> satisfactorily. I don't know how did. I did at the parties, but I, did, I think I did well at the Globes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure. The parties is the party scene is not my thing. Like I, yeah. um, I can fake it okay, but uh, it, it just, you know, there there were these very intimate L.A. restaurants that were jam packed of just the biggest names, especially that Netflix party. I mean, literally, you turn around. There's Alfre Woodard. There's Laura Dern. There's Craig Robinson. There's uh, there's uh, Wesley Snipes. There's a couple of some of the poor woman, um, Valerie Mahaffey, who was not in Marriage Story, who I confused for Julie Haggerty and told her she was great in Marriage Story. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she laughed about it. And then like 30 minutes later, we bumped into each other. And I, I do really I did really like her because she was in this great Norma Lear sitcom in the early 90s called The Powers That Be. Um, and I talked to her about that. And she and she, I just wanted her to know that I did know who she was. I just. <laughs> I was having a brain fart, and I had it just happens. met Laura Dern. I'm sure it happens to her all the time, right? Um, she said that. They do look quite a bit alike, and yeah. they have that same sort of very high-pitched voice. Um, oh, no. But kidding. anyway. That's um, funny. That was really interesting. The uh, Chateau Marmont party was really, really cool. It was dark, and, and uh, that's such a fantastic building. That's mm. the first time I've ever been there. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And, and uh, you're talking about Halo um, with Brad Pitt. Charlie Theron was there. Oh, yeah. And it was... It was as if a UFO had landed and an alien had <laughs> stepped out. <laughs> yeah. Just she was only there for about fifteen minutes, but you like it's just like the air left the room. Isn't it weird when a celebrity is? Yes. I mean, it's so strange. I never get used to it. That thing. well, a big celebrity, and I will say, and, and, and you know, people will be like, "Oh, you're just you know being a snob and whatnot." But you know, after a while, like especially at the post globe parties, when when you're you're walking around and oh, there's Rita Wilson, oh, and there's Helen Mirren. Yeah. You know, after a while, you're just like, okay, this is, you're just in, you're in Oz, basically, and everybody yeah. is, is special. And, mm-hmm. uh, but Charlie Theron was the one person where I was in a room and I just could not take my eyes off of her. I, it was just really amazing. Wow. I know she's um, so tall, huh? She is. She's tall. I think we're about the, uh, she, in heels, she was a little bit taller than me, but I think normally we'd probably be the same height or close there i know i was shocked uh, at how tall she was i mean i always knew she was tall but i didn't realize she was that tall you know uh so let me, let me just tell you my uh my funny story so um i 
saw right when we first got to the party, I went with Jazz and Jen. Um, and when we got to the party, we were standing near Ryan's and course, director of Knives and uh, The Last Jedi. Oh, and he was by himself. He was talking to his, <laughs> he was talking to a woman standing next to him that I later found out was his wife. I didn't know who his Karina wife Logan. was, so I will. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. And uh, uh, so we walked up to him and I talked to him. I talked to him about, you know, his inspiration and in evil under the sun. Cause I'm a huge fan of those early Agatha Christie movies with, with, uh, Peter Ustinov. Um, and, uh, so after about 10 or 15 minutes, I decided that t- the threshold had passed and it was, I was going to ask him, could I just take a picture? Cause my son, <laughs> huge fan of knives out, huge fan of last Jedi. So he said, absolutely. He was super gracious. He's a super nice guy. Just, he if, is. you know, yeah. our listeners, if you ever have the chance to meet Ryan Johnson, it's oh just, my God. I know. he is just incredibly nice. So he puts his arm around me and, you know, kind of a bro hug to the picture and on him. But what I didn't know is that his <laughs> wife was standing right behind them with a full glass of wine. <laughs> and I clocked the glass of wine and spilled it all over her. <laughs> Uh, it was her own glass of wine. I heard the yes. story, but I didn't know that it was her own glass. Okay, well, no, it was wow. her glass of wine, and she yells, "Jesus Christ!" Oh God! Oh, like, oh God! Oh God! But it, it didn't stop me, of course, from taking the picture. But I just, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And um, oh. and uh, I, I, <laughs> I turned to Ryan and I said, she walked off and was in a huff and very upset. And I, and oh, I could no. tell she was very upset. And I turned to him and I said. I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. You know, let me know if there's anything. I can. He's like, it's fine. It's fine. And then right there in my in, in my head, I had the Ron Howard uh, Arrested Development narration going. It was not fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so his wife is uh, Karina Longworth, mm-hmm. who does yes. um, who does the uh, the, the uh, you must remember this podcast. So. Yeah. She does. I did not know that, and uh, mm-hmm. I felt really terrible, especially since I, I kind of halfway talked to her, and I would have talked to her about the podcast, but I just, I when he said, here's my wife, Karina, I just never, I didn't know he was married to Karina Longworth. I just, I don't know. Mm. It was, it was, uh, that was, that was uncomfortable. That was something I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, she, she, I follow her on Instagram, so that's how I knew they were married. For goodness, they, you know, because I saw a fault. You know, when you follow someone on Instagram, you like follow their life on Instagram. So yeah. you see, like, when they're engaged, mm-hmm. when they have their wedding, when they go on their honeymoon. <laughs> and so, I unfortunately know all this about her life, which I shouldn't know. I've got to get off of Instagram. That's insane that I would know this about her. But, um, but, but he is just the sweetest man. I mean, really, I, I went to a Knives Out thing. I, I just couldn't believe how kind and nice he was. Like, you just don't find that in Hollywood among people. No, you know? no, I could tell. I mean, he was the most generous person. He really, you can, and number one, you can tell he loves film. Like, yeah, he, and, uh, you know, almost everybody who's working in this industry loves film, but he has like this infectious passion for it. And he, he would have talked to us for an hour, you know, had it been realistic. But uh, yeah. it was... Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Karina Longworth later that she was all dried off? I did not. I kind of um, fled the area. Oh, <laughs> and then I talked to Jeff Wells fled for a while. the area. Yeah. Was she... Oh, God. <laughs> was it a red wine? <laughs> oh, I think it was... Uh, it, it had... Well, see, I got it on my suit coat, too. Mm-hmm. So it had to have been white wine. Um, because oh, I, my okay. suit coat wasn't wasn't stained or anything. But, <laughs> she said, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> she, she yelled it so loudly, and I was like, It was oh, like a God. scene from Knives Out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, funny. you know, oh. it, 
I'm just that's one thing that I like I said I'm not I'm I'm an extroverted introvert where I can fake it if I need to but most of the time I just need some peace and quiet to just kind of settle and I was very not like you know I'm not on the spectrum or anything but I felt like in those situations I was because I'm I don't know. I just, there's so many people around. I kept bumping into people. I kept stepping on feet. I kept like this one person at the Warner Brothers in style party. I, I accidentally, I was trying to get through a sea of people and I, and I walked behind two people and I ended, accidentally bumped this one woman and near, almost knocked her off her feet. And I, just, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I got to go home. <laughs> and then we got a couple of emails from you and I felt like you were, you were, you were sending us messages from like Jupiter or something. And you were all, you, you were like, you're trying to come to grips with the whole situation. And I, and I, over when it really overdid it in my replies i was trying to be like your guidance counselor to talk you through it when really you were just opening up and one thing you needed somebody to, to tell what you were feeling but you didn't need to hear anybody's advice you handled yourself really well but i i don't know what was wrong with me that night i was so concerned about you because your, your email was <laughs> so cute i really hate parties too i mean my daughter and i have this this uh i talk about her a lot she's gone in new york now and i'll never see her again but um we have this joke mm-hmm. about stinging shame, <laughs> like stinging shame of like <laughs> certain incidents. <laughs> One time the grocery delivery person um, accidentally brought our groceries and put them in front of our neighbor's doorstep and and our neighbor brought them back and, and gave them to us. And, and <laughs> she said, the neighbor was like, we, you know, my husband said we should just keep them because they'll send them new. But we felt like we had to bring it back. And, and Emma was like, thank you. But for whatever reason, like Emma felt stinging shame about that situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when you feel like, and that's how I feel when I go to a party. Like everything I say, everything I do, everything I'm wearing, it all is like comes back to stinging shame. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it's my my self esteem just like hit this rock bottom low. I mean, you heard me when I talked there. I was like, "Watch out! I'm the tallest, fattest person in I Los know. Angeles." No, you shouldn't <laughs> say like, that. And I'm not. not no, I, not even close. Give me a break. But um, that's absurd. But I know what you mean, and I do. I do. You do. And there is something about those Hollywood parties. <laughs> <laughs> that you just feel like you know it just you feel i mean I, the thing i hate about them is um i hate that they can be fun you know if you're with the mm-hmm. right people and you're having a good time they can actually be really fun i'm sure hanging out with jazz and jen would have been fun you know because they're always really nice to hang out with um really nice and so you know if, if i know jazz is good jazz puts me at ease immediately no matter where yeah. i am so if i know she's going to be somewhere it's much easier than just going it alone you know yeah it, it really was and they were um immensely helpful i had a great time hanging out with them um i did leave the after parties after the globes um early because i was just well, first of all, I had been at the uh, Beverly Hilton for since like 12 o'clock and this was going on nine. So I'd been yeah. in a, in the same room for eight hours doing the Globes and, and that was hectic. And, and just yeah, tremendous it's, really not, it's not just it's not it's a high intensity situation. You were like yeah. wired up and on for such yeah. a long time and period of time. Did sure. they um, have good food there? They did. They had uh, they, they served vegan food to the press as well. And it was really good. Really? Um, which what is, was it? What kind of food? Yeah. Uh, pasta and, and salads, you know, simple things that they can serve mm-hmm. in a buffet, but um, because that's what it was. But uh, um, 
<laughs> pasta and salads and then this and there were some other things that's that's what i ate was the uh the fake sausage pasta um mm. and uh but there was this mountain of lays potato chips just <laughs> randomly <laughs> in the middle of all of it and i was like why i don't think those are me. <laughs> probably not probably not it's all gluten-free vegan potato yeah. chips but you know when you go to the oscars I've never seen a fancier spread for press. That the, I mean, you're going to see what I see, which is how impressive the Academy is, how everything is run like a tight ship, and it's everything is just... I mean, I love doing any event with them because they take care of everything. It's great coffee. It's great food. It's dessert. They have tons. Oh, Clarence, we'll have to talk about your connection at the... Did Jazz talk to you about that? We no. have to we have to figure that out. We have to t- coordinate with her because you need to. We need to get you arranged to to get a connection when you're there, and we might okay. have to do that in advance. Um, you because you want an Ethernet connection because of the academy. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes, yes, that's. That, uh, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about like a personnel connection. No, no, um, no, no, no. Yes, it's uh, it's in the um, it's in my uh, yeah. We got to get that, that taken to... care of because you're gonna want to have Ethernet. You're not going to want to do because yes. the Wi-Fi doesn't work there because it gets too jammed. She mm. told me that, and even the Wi-Fi, the free Wi-Fi at the Globes was uh, up and down. I had to. Um, it, it was fine. It was it was fine. It just there were a couple of times when I uh, was trying to post some tweets uh, of what was going on backstage, and um, it, it, the Wi-Fi failed me, yeah. so I had to reboot. But I mean, the, honestly, the no, press I, room experience is more fun than the Oscars themselves, at least from my perspective. Because I go up to the top floor and I just hang out up there by myself and I drink and they don't have any food. The, all the food's down in the press room. The food that they give you up there does little tiny hors d'oeuvres. So you have to eat before you go because you'll starve if you go to the Oscars. But um, the but press there are room, bars on every level, right? Are there there's bars, bars and drinks? Yeah, on every lots level. of drinks, lots yeah. of drinks, but not a lot of food. They have like potato <laughs> chips. You know, that's it. That, I'm looking forward to doing that, and and I'm looking I, now that I sort of know how to navigate these things, these parties. I have a little bit of you know under my belt. I'm 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 ready for my next round if I get invited to anymore. If the the great Sasquatch of the South hasn't been <laughs> barred from all of the Netflix parties. <laughs> Come on, you know what it is no, weird. It, it is weird going to the Oscars. Like the last time I was trying to like walk out, I was like walking by. Um, Lisa Bonet and and that guy, <laughs> that tall guy, whatever his name is. Oh, I saw him. At, I saw them at the uh, at the Warner Brothers party. That oh, was yeah. literally somebody posted me on Facebook. Um, one of my my Facebook friends said, "Make sure you get a picture of Jason Boma." Jason. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. It is, and uh, I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm sh- I'm not sure they're here." Blah blah blah. And they, but he was a presenter or something. And uh, <laughs> literally, that's the first person I bump into when I go into the Warner. Oh God! Party so tell me, is, tell me about uh, the Lisa Bonet and. What was that like, that Warner Brothers in style party? Because that's a super fancy one, right? Yeah, so it was, um, you know the, uh, of course you do, but you know in the scene of, of Agent of Innocence where um, Newland comes to the mm-hmm. Vander Leiden's party and he kind yeah. of walks through all these rooms to get to the main ballroom? Yeah. Um, that was what this was like. So you, you walk down this hallway at the Beverly Hilton and, and they're in these rooms that are probably very ordinary looking, but there's curtains and velvet drapes and all this stuff um, hung there. And there's a there's a line for celebrities to walk through so they can get their pictures taken again. Um, so I kind of walked through there and it was it was sparse. There was a couple people there and, and here and there. And I thought, OK, well, this isn't this isn't hopping yet. And I just decided, OK, I'm going to walk through this other space because I'm going through four and five rooms 
And then I finally go and there's an exit sign and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the next party. I'll go find the Netflix party at this point. And I, I go through this, this door and it just opens up into this enormous gargantuan space. <laughs> it's just filled with like, like, uh, just uh, hundreds and hundreds of people oh and it my was God. beautiful and there was just this, just this bunting was draped from the ceiling and it and it, it kind of um it led up into formed a cone in the middle of the room and there was a dj and and uh patricia arquette was, was uh, sitting on a on a sofa with a viking hat on and um, and Helen Mirren was walking around trying to get around other people who were taking her picture and blinding her with the flashes um it was beautiful and 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 just it was really great party i think the sounds Netflix like such one, a, it's such a cinematic description you just gave mm -hmm. of it too it sounds just like a scene out of a movie doesn't it oh, where you yeah. just make turn a corner and open the door and everything just opens up just like splash out in front you know it's wild <laughs> yeah i'll true. send you guys the picture of the room um and i'll send you the netflix party um the netflix party i think is where most people were um for whatever reason i don't, I don't know why but uh um, that that's where I, I I did bump into and talk to um, Margaret Qualley for a little bit, and I was quite Aww, excited about that. So cute. She's so sweet. She is she is very like she's very bold and and um, I don't know brassy is not the right word, but she's very bold in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and she is in real in real life she just is very quiet and and almost meek appearing. Um, she's she's going to be something big I think. I think so too yeah i love her in once upon a time in hollywood she's so good in that i love it when she flips the cops off <laughs> fuck you pigs i know and he's like oh no yeah <laughs> well it's that great song too that you and i were talking about when we went to el coyote it was um neil diamond's uh brother loves mm -hmm. preacher yeah brother love whatever the song he's brother it's a great scene it's my it's it's just it is the so good. No, that's music. The, absolutely. That's the part of the movie where, actually the whole movie, I pretty much smile all the way through it. But when that comes on, I always stop whatever I'm doing and just watch it because I love it so much too. Um, and I love, but a lot of that is her. You know, a lot of it is her yes. body movements, the funny way she is. Um, she's just very comical. She's very sort of Chaplin-esque. Um, I love her character and I love all the Spawn Ranch stuff. It's just fantastic. It's a great movie. I feel like the only part of the movie that <clears throat> that is a little bit, sl slows it down a little is the Sharon Tate part. But that's only because, I mean, he has to do it and it all works. It's just that it, for some reason, it's not as fun to me to watch that whole sequence as it is the other two, Cliff and, and Rick Dalton's different sequences. But that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's because she's alone and because she doesn't interact with anyone yeah, much, exactly. hardly at all. I mean, a little mm -hmm. bit, but not much. And she sort of floats through in her own um, bubble, sort of, yeah. which is nice. But it's a different. It's a. It, it's a. It's meant to. It's meant to have a different pace, and it does. And so it takes you in. It's. It's almost like a dreamlike state oh that you are, that you're in when you're with her in the movie. Yeah, exactly. To totally different. Look at the Australia. pictures that he just sent. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. That's so crowded. That party. God. So that's yeah. the one that everybody was at, right? Yeah, that one and the Netflix party. I, I did not. I was invited to one other one, and I did not. Um, just I didn't get the chance to go there because there were seven. Um, parties. I, I had three uh, invitations, and I was I was very lucky to um, finagle those. But uh, 
there were seven of those just to show you how massive this event is. And plus it covers TV and film. I mean, there was, you know, just uh, Sasha, you would have died. I was standing at the bar at the Netflix party. I turned around and there's Hoyt from uh, Mindhunter. Oh my <laughs> and I'm God. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. Wait, was that Netflix part? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Was David he Fincher? Wasn't... He wasn't there. David Fincher, no, no. way, right? No. He doesn't go to parties. Oh, yeah. I'm just now seeing these photos. What? <laughs> Incredible. Wow. It's like eyes we'll wide to, shut. We'll have to post these with the uh, with the podcast links on the site so people can see them. Yeah. So the readers can see them, too. That's wow. fascinating because I never have gone to those parties ever. I have always get invited every year to that in-style party, and I never go. Um, and so I'm really glad that, that you got to do it. I am too. Thank you so much for sending me those uh, invites and uh, letting me um, harass publicists. I can't believe you did it. I can't believe you had the. I can't believe the Sasquatch of the South had that much like (laughs) (laughs) get up and go to like make all that happen. Like that's a lot to put together, man. I got it. I got it. Now send me send me the ones for the Oscars. I'll I'll do the same if you get invited to similar ones. I, I don't well, even know see, if they that's have the, the weird same. thing is I, I don't. That's the one funny sad thing is I don't get the Oscar invites for whatever reason. Only the Globes, okay. and I'm not sure why. I think that's because the ballots are already in. They don't need us anymore. Right. Right. So well, that's the thing, you know. And and you can leave this out if you need to. But that's the one thing that I really noticed was a lot of a lot of people in the industry. A lot of people. You know, they they spend a lot of time with with bloggers. You know, there are a lot of bloggers at mm-hmm. these parties. Yeah. Um, and and they they act like they're f- your friends. Yes. You know, I I see, I saw certain celebrities talking to mm-hmm. certain bloggers who yep. I won't name, and and that person comes back and yeah, we're really close. Or you know, they took that picture mm-hmm. with me, and I'm like, well, they took mm-hmm. that picture with you because you stood there for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. They're going to take a picture mm-hmm. because they want to get rid of you. They just mm-hmm. don't want to be rude because they don't mm-hmm. want you writing shit about them. <laughs> and it's it's such a weird environment because you know they it, it's it's almost like high school. You know, it, they just. It's such a popularity contest. They don't want you. I mean, they don't really care about you no, at all. That's, they just want. I mean, absolutely. some of them genuinely do. Ryan Johnson does, but they, He's you know, by and large, they're just guy. they know how to play the game. Oh, oh, for sure. They that's that's one of the reasons I don't like going there is because, as I told you, like I am really, really sensitive, and I notice everything, and I don't like that feeling of someone looking right through you. You know, I hate that feeling. It's it's it makes you feel so diminished and worthless. And just because you're a blogger who's going to give them, they treat you really well so that they'll get favorable coverage. They're not, they're your friends. They're not meant to be your friends. They don't want to be your friend. They don't even want to hang out with you. They're only doing it because they have to. It's their job. Well, that other blogger we were talking about earlier before we started recording that we were talking about, the other famous, uh, well-known blogger that we know, that's what he said in the letter that we were talking about. (laughs) He said, he said, he 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 told her, he said, you're my friend. No. And, that, and, and all of it, and everyone who read that on his site said, "Dude, she is not your friend. Mm-hmm. You've talked to her once or twice. That doesn't make you friends." They're and not, so, no, isn't that weird? That even someone like him who ought to know better. Well, he realizes it now. He sees that he's a fair weather friend, which is how you should always approach any celebrity relationship vis-a-vis a film awards. I cut publicists slack because I kind of know where they're coming from. But with stars, mm. it's sort of a weird, confusing thing because you're kind of caught up in this orbit. Um, and it feels really good mm-hmm. to be in that rarefied air with these people, you know, 
And that's what Almost Famous is about. If you watch Almost Famous, that's what that movie is about, the best part of that movie. It's about yes. the swill merchants. It's about how when you're around them, you become intoxicated, and, and that's on purpose so that you'll write positive stuff. Mm. And you know that's one of the reasons why I try to avoid, as much as I can, celebrity contact, because... You know, it is like getting bitten by a vampire. It's like once <laughs> you meet them and you can, like, for instance, meeting Robert Redford. Well, what was I not going to do to try to get Robert Redford that nomination? He didn't mm. get it, but right. I still did everything I could. And that's because you feel sort of personally connected to them, even though you're not. But you just feel that way because you, your brain doesn't know the difference. Right. I will say... Um, the people who were not playing this game were the people from the Irishman. They like, I was at that party, Netflix party. I got there right after it started. And, um, I could, I, as I walked in, I saw Pacino and De Niro and Scorsese walking out the back. And they were <laughs> well, gone. aren't they so, they're so big that, I'm, but, but you know, Scorsese's doing the rounds. He's really doing yeah. the rounds and I, he has to, because this movie costs so much money, but, um, but yeah, Pacino and them, like they're not going to fuck around with it. <laughs> bloggers but uh but yeah i mean i go to enough of these things from telluride on you know it starts at telluride telluride you go to this big picnic and you're mingling with celebrities you know and it's it's publicists saying come here sasha i want to introduce you to so and so and you have to shake their hand you know and, and once you do that it's a good job a publicist does because they know that if you feel like you know them you're going to work harder for them mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to be, you have to, you have to watch Almost Famous, and you have to listen what Lester Banks tells him, the advice, and try to keep yourself just a tiny bit honest, just a tiny bit. You know, it's hard. Oh, for sure. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, it was a great time. It was uh, it was a lot of fun, and um, I'm looking forward to doing the Oscars. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the adventures from that day. Actually, the, 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 the press room I found was really fun, but the bummer about it is they don't come in. The celebrities don't come in there because they're not really allowed to because they need to be in the audience when the show is on. They can't just be gone. Right. Mm. So the famous mm. people will always be called back and they never come to the press room. So that's always a drag. But, um, but the Academy's so fancy. Everything's so fancy in that building. You know, the food is so good. Like, I just love being around. Talk about your rarefied air. Like, to me, like, my dream job would be in the Academy somewhere. <laughs> like, I just love their their setup. It's just always, you know, top-notch. Spared no expense. You know, it's the Jurassic mm-hmm. Park of, like, movie events. So mm-hmm. you're going to love it. I love going to that because of that. So trip out man trip out i think you're gonna have a great time (laughs) so clarence is coming out here february 4th 4th that's oscar ballot day that's when the oscar ballots are turned in and then he's here until the 10th right wow oh my gosh yeah well the uh the the walkthrough i I was told by the uh, somebody from the academy is supposed is mandatory and it's supposed to be on the wednesday before the ceremony so i had to be there for wednesday and i I didn't know if it was afternoon or morning they haven't set a specific time yet so i I went ahead and came in on tuesday yeah there you go fantastic um yeah so you just we definitely have to prioritize the whole ethernet thing get that thing squared away you don't want to show up there without it no, I've I've got to fill out the request by this Friday, I think. Okay, uh, all right. I've got 
I've got the email. I just I have done some of it. I haven't done all of it. Okay, guys. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about, or are we kind of done? What do you think? Um, well, we we can we well, the next podcast we'll do some more about the nominations. We only cover the top five categories, and yeah. but that's okay. Um, we'll do some. We have plenty well, of time between listen, now and Oscar night to <clears> do some more. So SAG and Producers Guild next weekend. Are we going to try to do a quickie podcast before that with our predictions, or do you want to do them now? Or no, probably not now. Uh, I have no, no idea now. Yeah, I need to yeah, do some wait. some yeah. research there. But um, and, no, and let's you're do running a, late do. on time too, aren't you? Oh, it's okay. We're, I'm having a good time. I'll right. just stay up late. Oh, okay. oh shit! <laughs> All right, so maybe Friday we'll try to podcast if we can, if we can get our shit together. Sounds good. Looking forward that. to it. All right. Um, yeah. All right, you guys. Nice talking to you. You too. Okay. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Right. Bye. 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 Bye.